John 14, this again, this is right after, in verse 7, right after he declares that he designed the way to teach my life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and we're going to pick it up there, um, actually, and, and, and we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 12 through 14 today and next week. Um, again, what is he saying? Um, what is he saying to us? My hope today and next week is to eliminate some confusion, maybe bad doctrinal theology in these passages and encourage us in our walk with Jesus. And so let's look at this passage together in John 14. So, right, so we just got to get this thing here the way to keep life. And then he said, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. And let's hear what he's saying. In John 12, uh, he declares his deity that he is fully God. In John 8, he actually declares that again. He said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Philip, I like these guys, and have questions. Lord, tell us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. And then these are the verses that we will focus in on. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works, because I'm going to be with my Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so just briefly, in verses 7 through 11, once again, Jesus is talking about his deity. I'm not going to spend a ton of time there, but this is something that he has reiterated over and over. He is talking about his deity. He is that he's fully God, and he's fully man. But he's telling you, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the invisible image that we can see, that those guys can see, of the invisible God, and that nothing was created out from him. And so you have Jesus that creates him. Jesus is very much God. In fact, in Genesis, if we want to rewind back, remember it says this, it says when they were creating mankind, the Bible says this, it says, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? God didn't just say, let me, he said, let us. There you have a picture of the Trinity that was there before time and in creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God is manifest through three entities. I don't think we'll ever be able to wrap our head around completely the Trinity. But God is manifest in three persons because He's God and He can do that. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All equally God with different roles. Again, Jesus said this of himself in John 12. In John 8, he's debating with the Pharisees and religious people of the day. And they're asking him, and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out kind of who he is, and they're debating him. He said, he said before, and they said, you know, they, they said, you're, you're referring back to a time before you were ever born. He said, I tell you this, and they said, did you know Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Period. Now, what was he saying? Remember what he told Moses the burning bush? Moses said, who, who, who are you? Who should I say is sending me? He said, tell them I am. I, I am. That was his title. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he says that the religious leaders took up stones and they were going to They knew what he was saying. He was saying, I'm God. 
So don't be, don't be confused. Jesus claimed to be holy God. He came as a man. He was holy man, holy God, different roles. And he was in this passage, verse 7 to 11, and he is once again declaring his deity. So why is he saying that here? He's saying, I'm God in the flesh, and all that I have done has proved who I am. And, in fact, what I will be, because remember, he's preparing me. Remember, he, in the beginning of John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But they're going to see him go through a horrific time. They're going to see him be beaten. They're going to see him be crucified. And it's going to be an awful time. But what he's saying is, I am who I am, and what I'm about to do, and what I have done, proves who I am. So it's that he is proving that he came from the Father. He's doing the Father's work. And this is the proof of the reality of who he is and why he came his mission that he loved us to rescue us. And so this, once again, is his claim. And as we talked about, he made that claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he makes this claim here. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. And so he's making the claim of being fully God. And so what do we do as humanity? What do we do with the truth in Christ? These are not my claims. You don't have to be offended with me if you don't agree with it. It's just like I am the way, the truth, and life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. There's not many paths. Universalism doesn't exist. It's a false thought that's out there, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Don't be offended that I say that. Jesus himself said it. He made lots of claims of who he was. And so what do we do with the claims of Christ? We have to do something with that. Is it truth or is it not? And so this statement immediately follows, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because he's saying, I am God. And so now we'll look at verse 12. We're going to jump into this. Next week, we're going to look at the following verses. But he says, I tell you the truth. So he follows all that to say, anyone who believes in me will do the same work I have done and even greater work because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, as you can imagine, there's lots of commentary on this verse. There's a lot of bad teaching. There's a lot of bad doctrine on this verse. Many have believed that Jesus is saying that his followers would be able to replicate the same signs, wonders, and miracles as he did, and even later ones that he did. In other words, they equate this phrase of work to signs, wonders, and miracles. And I would submit to you that's not what he said. And I think Scripture will prove that. That's not my opinion. We're going to look at Scripture. And so we must be cautious with doing this with anything that we read in the Bible, that we make a doctrine out of something that was never doctrine. Remember what Paul told him, we need to, he said there's coming a time when people will not be given to sound doctrine. In fact, he says that there, at, at some point there's going to be coming a great delusion that will come and, and cloud people's minds. And he's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about believers and what we would believe. Because culture is out there teaching lots of things. And even in the church, we have to be careful that we don't make doctrine, that we adhere to sound doctrine. And where do we find sound doctrine? If it's in the Bible or not. Let me give you a couple of nerdy terms that you can take with you today. Have you heard of the exegesis? I'm not talking about Jesus to say the exegetical. Have you heard of that? That's a nerdy term for drawing something out of the text. Hermeneutics, have you ever heard of that? Hermeneutics is what is the context of what is being said. And so, 
exit. We are we are supposed to have an exegetical. It is to draw from the text. It's the text that is in our head. And we draw out from the text. And then the other nerdy term is I say Jesus. Or I say And this is the danger, this is the danger word that means that we read into the text what we want to see. And so all throughout church history, People have tried to get you know, the, the, the sound doctrine is to say that the scriptures we, we exegetically pull out, not eisegetically. We don't get to put our spin on it, in other words. That makes sense? It's enough of the nerdy terms. That's all I'll do. But we're not, scripture is scripture. We don't need to put our spin or our twist on it. And so we need to understand the context before, after, what would it said before, what it said after. Who it wrote to, um, to, yeah, to whom it wrote to, what is the message? We interpret scripture with other other scripture. We never interpret scripture with experience. Does that make sense? To give you an example, if, if, if let's say let's say you have you're, you're you're reading the Bible. Let's say you're reading the Bible one day and you're in your in your quiet room or whatever, and something just jumps off the page and it really deeply touches you. Maybe you. Weeping, maybe God is revealing. Has anybody ever had that happen where you just have a moment with God and there's something very powerful that's happening with this, right? And it's real. And, and God is there, the Holy Spirit is ministering, speaking to you. What would be dangerous is it for you to go and write a book and say, This is how you must hear from God. You must do it exactly the way I did it. You sit in a room, you open, you know what I'm saying? And you start making experience doctrine. That's dangerous. And we gotta guard that. We gotta guard against that. That, they, that, that the scripture interprets scripture non experience. And so then also then what do we do with all that? We apply what we learn, right? It's not just to be studied, and we should study the scripture, but the Bible is a love letter, it is a rescue letter, it is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and it is to be lived out. And so we say, God, what are you speaking? So with all that, let's first look at what Jesus means here. He says the works that he does, not the signs and wonders and miracles. He doesn't say that. He does reveal who he is and why he came. And so what were his works? To usher in a new kingdom. To do what he saw the Father doing. To testify of the truth. Remember before Pilate, John 18, he's arrested. And he says this phrase, and, and, and if you've ever watched the Truth Project, this is the first question. He says, why did Jesus come? And they, they all, why was he born? And they all are giving these people to save the world. He said, that's true, but that's not what Jesus said. Now, that, and then he did come to save us. But before Pilate, he says, for this reason I was born, to testify of the truth. That was the word, that's why I came. And who's the truth? Himself. And then it says, now we'll get too far ahead because this is coming up in a couple weeks. The Holy Spirit testifies of the truth of who He is. And so He came to testify to us why He came before Pilate. He made that declaration. All that He would do would testify of the truth and the reality of God's kingdom, how to live in the kingdom, how to have eternal life. 
Yes, he did do miracles and signs and wonders that pointed to the goodness of God, and, 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 and we could look to that. So it's not the absence of, and I didn't say that, they were, that, that he got rid of those, he did those. But all of it was to reveal God's goodness and love, but ultimately to bring glory to his Father. And I believe that people can get tripped up when they see the text pointing simply to that we would do the same signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus would do. These were never his primary focus. And so if this text were pointing to those things, he would have made them his primary focus, and he did not. How do I know this? Let's interpret the scripture. Here's Matthew 16. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus to test him. They did this a lot. Demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And so you would think that if signs went into miracles with the works that he would do to ultimately prove, and that was the focus, he would have probably just done something before them and said, See? But he replied, You know the saying, Red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Verse 3. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather and signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. And so, what is he saying here? I'm only going to give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he's saying what, what, what I'm doing is, is the, the same thing that happened with Jonah. is a foretelling of what was going to happen to me. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a, 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 a whale. How many days was Jesus dead in the ground and he rose from the dead? And so that's the sign of the winter. You need to understand, I rose from the dead. It doesn't get there. That's the ultimate sign of the winter. Jesus was dead. He died for our sins, he's risen, and he's going to make a place for us. That's why at the beginning of John 14, he's giving them the promise of the eternity. And so he's saying, live your life out of that reality that I died and rose again for salvation. If signs and wonders were his focus, he would have told us to chase them and actively seek them. But he didn't. Let's look at the next one, Luke 16. So this is a story. I'm only going to take up the story. Many of you are familiar with Jesus was telling the story that there was this rich man that would come by this beggar named Lazarus. This is not the same Lazarus that, uh, that was Mary and Martha's brother. But this rich man would come by this gate and this poor man Lazarus would beg and the rich man would ignore him. And Jesus is telling the story. He said they, they both died. And so they were basically because, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, that is what sealed uh, our place to be in heaven. But before he did that, uh, there, was a, there was a paradise place where we're going to get in all that today. But there's a holding place. Um, there's a holding place for the, the wickedness, a holding place for the righteous, and there was this chasm in between the two. And so then you have the rich man pleading with, with, with Abraham, who is there, and here's where Jesus speaks up. And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. Talking about this poor beggar. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in a place of torment. And so there's a reality of the place that's away from God's place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. 
So listen to what the rich man said. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is visited them from the dead, in other words, if you raise him from the dead, that will completely freak them out. So he's saying they will repent of their sins and turn to God. So if you do this amazing miracle, they'll believe. And Jesus says, what? If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Yes, Jesus did miracles, but he was saying, even people who seen them, if they don't turn their hearts down in the right place, that's not going to convince them. And then this passage Jesus said in Matthew said, not everyone who calls out to the Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a it's a sobering passage here that Jesus is saying. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and listen to what they said. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And so the miracles weren't the focus of who he was. And so in John 14, when he says, greater works, the works the same works I do, greater works that you do, that would be a contradiction to what he's saying in Matthew 7, because there are going to be people that do signs, wonders, and miracles that think that because they are doing signs, wonders, and miracles, it validates who they are before the world is going to say, I never knew you. Because the miracles weren't the focus of who he was. Miracles, signs, wonders, and spiritual gifts can become idols that lead people astray, thinking that they are okay when they're not. And Jesus is saying, even when somebody's very gifted spiritually, doesn't mean that they're okay. Paul warns at the end of the age, he said, there will be false signs and wonders that will be done to deceive many. So how do we not get deceived? We walk in discernment, right? We walk close to the Lord. And again, if these were the works that Jesus was talking about to focus on, remember what he said when he would heal people at times? He would heal them. And what he would say to them, don't go tell anyone what I've done for you. You read that in the Gospels? If that was a focus, if that was the work that we were supposed to carry on, he would say, go tell everybody what I've done to you. Replicate this. This should be what is normal. He didn't do that. He said, don't tell anyone what I've done for you today. Why, why did he say that? I think large part is that he didn't want followers just for what he could do. And I think Scripture proves that. Again, let me, let me pause. He does miracles. We can pray for people. He can heal the sick. And he can raise the dead. And he can open blind eyes. That's nothing to him by his sovereign hand and his grace as he will. But we have to interpret the scripture with scripture. And I believe it's safe to say that he's not talking about signs, wonders, and miracles as the works that we would do. Some of his miracles have been deal that he was God, that he was deity. Multiplying fish and bread, you know, kind of something out of nothing. He has this little boy's lungs and he feeds 5,000 plus people. That's godlike, that he is making something out of something, nothing that was there. Commanding the weather, only God can do that. We can't command the weather. We can ask and the Lord can intervene and stop storms, but we, we don't have command over the weather. That's bad theology. 
He walked on water to reveal that he had the authority over the elements. Peter did for a while, for just a few minutes. But Jesus was right there with him that he was, he was proving that he had authority over the elements. He changed water to wine. And then he raised Lazarus after being dead for four days, authority over death and even decay to that point. And so these works weren't going to be normative even for the disciples. In fact, when we see the disciples ministry in Acts, they did some miracles. And the miraculous was happening. So again, it was like, but you didn't see them going, okay guys, you've got to try to turn some water into wine because Jesus said we're going to do even the works that he did. So let's try to figure out how to turn water into wine. That wasn't a focus. They didn't say, okay, you remember when we walked on, we're going to go teach us, we're all going to learn how to walk on water. We're going to have a walk on water school. That was, you don't even see that that was their focus. They understood that the work, the greater work, were the kingdom in and through. We're going to get into that in a minute, what, what he was talking about. And so God still does miracles. Again, we can pray, we can do He can stop storms. We do not have the same authoritative power as Jesus that would make us God and Him not. One of the major problems with that doctrine is we humanize God and we deify ourselves. So next week I'm going to get into where you just ask anything in my name and I will do it. And how that's been kind of missed, construed, and, and, and some bad things have been done with that in terms of scripture this week. So, what are the works Jesus is talking about? Thank you for asking. We're going to get right into that. Okay? John chapter 6. Alright, so he has just fed the 5,000 plus people, right? He's done a, a pretty amazing thing there. I mean, if you were, if you, it would be amazing if you fed our group with just some little kids' lunch, right? We would all, that would be amazing. 5,000 plus people. So, he's just done this. This is John chapter 6, so in contact. We're picking up in verse 26. Just to point out, I'll tell you the truth. You want to be with me because of the calling, because I fed you. And there you have a little indication of why he would tell people not to go tell people when he didn't know him. He said, Your father, you want to be with me because you saw a miracle. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And then what does Jesus say? They replied, we want to perform God's works too. So, okay, going back to John 14, same works I do, you will do even greater works. And the people here, they just saw him do a miracle. And you know what they're thinking, right? We want to do God's works. In other words, we want to be able to go and uh, multiply bread and fish. We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told me, this is the only work God wants from me. So God, Jesus himself is saying what the work is, the name of believe in the one who has sent. So he makes it very clear, I think, from Scripture. And it's interesting if you keep reading, they go on to say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe. And so you would think that if Jesus is, if it was just about the miraculous, he would just do it to, to, to get them quiet. Because they said even even God gave our ancestors miraculous manna from heaven to feed them, and He's just finished. It was a miraculous sign if He wanted us to believe. And Jesus said, and He uses it. I love Jesus. 
They're saying, you, you know, we just saw a miracle, show us how this works. Here's the work that you need to believe on him who sent me. Then they said, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe. Even God provided to their throne the God card out to Jesus. Even God said, manna to our, our ancestors. And Jesus says, this is the perfect moment to step in. And he said, I am the bread of heaven. I am the, that's when he declares that one of the I am statements of Jesus, I am the bread of heaven. If you understand who I am, you'll never be hungry again. I, I feed the hungry soul. In other words, I am the miracle in heaven. Look at me. I'm standing right in front of you. He did do miracles, but he didn't make them the works that he's referencing in John 14. Okay, so the, so the greater works that he would do was to carry on his work in scope, but not power in the miraculous. How is it greater work that we would do, his disciples do? Broken sinners, Jesus was not a sinner, broken sinners believing on him, as Jesus said in faith, that he is the source of eternal life. Believing that he is the way, the truth, and life, believing that he is God come down. Greater work in reach that Jesus in his humanity limited himself to that area of the world right while he was on the earth. He even, in Matthew 15, he said he, when he came, he was revealing that he was the Jewish Messiah. In Matthew 15, remember the Gentile woman that wanted her daughter to be healed? And Jesus said, I, I was sent to the lost people of Israel. Now, he, was, he came to rescue all of us, but he came to reveal that he was the Jewish Messiah. And so even in reach, he limited himself to this small area of the world. And he in reach in, 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 in saying that I came to reveal to the Jews because within the Great Commission we have the great work. He said, now you go into all the world making disciples of all nations, not just in one place, but the greater works will be redemption all over the world. Also, in his work, he came under the law, Right? He didn't fulfill the law until he died and rose from the dead. And so his works were in the law. Our works are in the in, in grace, filled with the Holy Spirit to do what he calls to empowered by the Spirit. And that we are revealing his finished work after the law. These are the greater works because the law, and I think that's what he's talking about too, the law were works to a certain level that they were imperfect. Now we're under the law of grace. And the greater works to reveal, to believe on Him, to believe who He is. And how cool is it that we're, He knew who He was. We're broken and we live by faith. That is the greater works. The works revealing and offering in His kingdom, making disciples, revealing His work in hearts, testifying to the truth and reality of who He is in our lives, in our brokenness, in our victories, in our defeats. Greater works that He has seen in us and we have given our lives and even in our hurt and our pain and our rejection, allowing Him to redeem even the worst of things in our lives for His glory. The world sees Him in us. And yes, there are times when He displaces power in and through us and performs miracles to a point to point to Him, but everything is done for His glory. And that's why Paul says this is the ultimate work. Paul's talking about the laws of food and drink, and he says to the Corinthians, to whatever you 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is the ultimate work. Even trivial things like eating, you think in the most trivial things of our day, God can get glory. We're doing it for Him. Nothing is wasted. There's not a day that's wasted. That's why in Jesus, there's not just an average day. Because you can go, well, you know, how was your day? And we can say, I, I did it for the glory of God. I worked for the glory of God. I was kind for the glory of God. And everything that I did and all the everything we do is for the glory of God. Every part of our lives live for Him and His glory. I'll just talk about that more next week. And then I'm going to close with this, 2 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul says. I think this is such a revelation of what we're talking about. The greater words. Paul says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. It's not about us. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is, this is our calling. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. He's talking to the Corinthians of God. Who said, let there be light and darkness has made the light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light standing in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Cracked pots. All of us. What's so cool about the more sometimes the more cracks you have, if there's a light inside the pot, the more the light is seen to the glory of God. And we can bring our brokenness and our corruptness to see Jesus live in me and through me to be seen. We contain this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great powers in mind are from our tongues. We're pressed in every time of troubles. And here's what Paul said. This is the reality of the, of the time we live in. Jesus himself, John 16, 33, said, In this world you are to take heart of overcoming the world. And he says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering. And so he doesn't say, you know, because again, if you're looking at this, if the, if the greater works were just the absence of, and there was the miraculous, and we would just, if we were doing greater works, we would just say there would be no suffering, there would be no pain, there would be no challenges, trouble, troubles. And Paul is saying, we're, we're, we have trouble on every side. There's suffering all around. There's suffering. Our bodies continue to tear on the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our body to the glory of God. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life. We do everything for the glory of God. Cracked pots, jars of clay that Jesus is seen in. You and I are created to reveal Jesus to our world. It's like God's word about being king. In good times and hard times, in the times that we are well, in the times that we are sick, that we can do all for the glory of God, that everything is for His glory. Does that mean that God gives sickness? I do not believe that. It's a, it's a realization because we live in a fallen, broken world. But can God work in it and through it? You bet He can. And He can get glory out of it. The 
this way to do the greater works because I'm going to follow it. Spread the gospel. Be filled with the Spirit. Reveal me wherever you go to whoever you're with. Reveal my redemption, my rescue. You reveal the work of the gospel. You make disciples of all nations. Let me shine through you so that the world can see. And we do this by living surrendered to Him. Living our lives for the glory of Jesus that He would be seen in and through us. And even in the worst of times or the best of times, we can bring Him glory. That's why the Pastor Greg Rollinger a few years ago, some of you guys were here, I showed this message where he had this. It's a disease like ALS. Now, Pastor Greg is with the Lord. He's supposed to see one year. And this guy's large, successful church in, 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 in Arizona, he pastored. And he had this debilitating disease. And last year, he passed away to be with the Lord. But through it, he kept his eyes on Jesus. In fact, said, I know God didn't give it to me. He said, but I'm stewarding it as a gift because I've seen God use it. And people are coming to Christ because of my it. He said, so Jesus is giving glory out of this. And he shared one story about, you know, where he's moving slow and, you know, he, he's getting slower so the day, and he was kind of overseeing a baptismal service. And this guy came up, they, the older man, they wheeled him up in a wheelchair. He had severe cerebral palsy. And this guy got out and he said, man, i got to hear your story. And he said, I'm your story. I saw it. He didn't get bitter. And he kept the eyes on Jesus. And he's been talking about stewarding this as a gift. He said, okay, my life is Jesus. And that's all I have to do. God can give glory. That's the greater work. And then my father-in-law's friend, Harley Rogers, he's on the other end of the spectrum. This guy, everything he touches, this guy's a multi-millionaire several times over. But it doesn't turn, he said, I'm stewarding it as a gift, and that's why he just, the church had a you know big building project, and he just wrote him out $1 million check. He said, because it's not mine, I'm not attached to it. So my father-in-law went to me and said, I can't give it away fast enough for that time, bringing it back to me. I'm like, trying to um, but his, he's still unattached to it because it's not. He's it doesn't turn in on itself. It's not for me. And so he, he, he's one of the most generous people you ever meet. And here's the thing: by way back in the day, he was giving to the Lord when he didn't have much, when his tithe was just peanuts. But he said, "I'm going to be faithful." And the Lord saved his crop. This guy's up. His son's run his operation. He's a huge farmer in California, one of the most successful farmers in all my heritage. Amazing that both his boys now run the operation. And he just says, I know it's not for me, it's something bigger. He said, All that we have is to the glory of God. And so you have these two people in his and God can use everything that we say. I belong to him, I'm surrendered to him. It's not my, my life is not my own, it belongs to him, and that's the inner work. We have the opportunity to let Jesus shine in and through us every day in the world that we're in to the people that we are with, whether in sickness or we are well, whether we are rich or we are poor, it is all to the glory of God and He can be seen and revealed in us to those poor because of what He's doing us. That's the greater work we just stand with you. Jesus be seen in us today. Holy Spirit gives us the power to live this every day. I'm that and I can preach this word and you know, those times and those seasons where it's difficult. 
And that's where Paul, he didn't, he didn't want to diminish the idea that he was pressed down and they were surrounded and it was a difficult time and season. But Lord, and he could even say, we're pressed, but thank God we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but at least we're not abandoned and we know you're here, God. Maybe my finances are not where they need to be or I want them to be, but thank you, God, that you have provided for me. Maybe that relationship is not where it was, but it needs to be, but it's not where I'm going, and I'm going to have God reconcile and restore that by the power of His Holy Spirit, and I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. That, Lord, whether whatever circumstance, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, it's to the glory of God, and, Lord, I pray that the gospel will go forth in your people that Jesus would be seen in a cracked life of brokenness. We would advance your kingdom, making disciples, leading people to Jesus, shining for Jesus, and no matter what place we find ourselves in, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.